Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 17. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 17. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Like generally what I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about electricity, batteries, and solar power. Um, which may not, you know, is not kind of the within the general scope of what we talk about, but there's that. The other thing that I have been thinking about, which is in our scope, and um, I know you you have this book as well, but uh, I've only read a few pages so far of Max Licato's um, Fearless. Yeah, like I'm trying to figure out what year that 2009 he wrote published Fearless. And uh, read a little bit of that. And, oh, you know what? I'm getting this mixed up with another book. Remember, I, I had that uh, day where I've, I've had like five or six books on my read me soon uh, part of my floor. <laughs> and um, I just decided to pick them all up and read the intros. And the one that, that really got me was uh, the quasi-Christian classic by Jerry Bridges, Trusting God. Mm. Uh, I think even, I, I think I saw that as a free book on Amazon. I don't know nine months ago or Kindle, and I started reading the reviews. That led me to the reviews of Not a Fan. And I wow, thought, well, not not the two weren't linked together, but the sense of like there were like nine negative. How many negative reviews are there for that book? Not very many, but I, but they had the same tone of the negative reviews for Not a Fan. And I decided even if it wasn't free, even if it was free, it wasn't worth downloading for me. So I passed on it. But you've purchased your own copy. I have purchased my own, uh, albeit used copy. And um, yeah, um, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot that's come up from this book, he has one line in here. I'll just read you his his. His, I think this is kind of a precy of where he's coming from, but on the hardcover on page 18, he writes, In order to trust God, we must always view our adverse circumstances through the eyes of faith, not of sense. And I uh, completely disagree. I wouldn't have gotten any farther than that. Based on what? Uh, well, why does he say that? Yeah. Oh, I... You know, I don't know that he says why he says that, but he he talks about God in a certain way in the same on the same page about twelve lines down. He says, in the arena of adversity, the scriptures teach us three essential truths about God, truths we must believe if we are to trust him in adversity. They are God is completely sovereign. That's number one. God is infinite in wisdom. That is number two. God is perfect in love. Uh, number three. And, um, you know, it really is interesting that he, uh, he doesn't put down why, not that I've seen so far, why we should do that. He simply indicates that if we do that, things will work out well. So I don't know if this is a pragmatic thing, i.e. we're Christians and we've got to make this work. So if we're going to make it work, here's how you do it. 
Um, but yeah, so out of this, I'll just kind of skip along the path that I'm on because the thing that's got me interested out of this is the idea of memory and remembering the things that God has done. But I guess what came up for me as I read this idea that we must always, I'm quoting him again, we must always view our adverse situations through the eyes of faith, not of sense, is that is precisely what the people in the biblical text are called not to do. They are called to remember. They are called to remember what happened to their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. They are called to remember all of these things. That is why they bind it on their foreheads. That is why they write it on their door lintels, because they are called to remember. And if we see God in some sort of way, I guess this is what, what is at the, the bottom of my uh, discontent, is that if we try to, um, if we have an abstract notion of who God is and what God can do, that will only work out so long as we are able to abstract ourselves from the reality around us. But what happens is that when we abstract ourselves from what's real, we're not real. We become cardboard people. We issue platitudes. We say things that really don't make sense, that don't work, that don't reconcile with lived reality. And that for me is a big problem. So wait, remind me, where, I think either I got lost or my mind wandered. What, what is he advocating? He's advocating that we do what? Uh, this is his one, I think, I think this is his, this is like a one sentence formulation of where he's coming from. In order to trust God, we must always view our adverse circumstances through the eyes of faith, not of sense. And I would hear that as we must always view them through the eyes of faith, where faith is defined as I trust that this is all going to work out and that God has the wheel. Yeah. I, th- I think he's going there, and I think he's he's saying, you know, when you have a hard time, go to the Bible. And if you hear, if you read in the Bible that God is going to take care of you, then God is going to take care of you, and that's as far as it goes. Because if you start looking around and you say, gee, God isn't really taking care of me too well, then you're in for trouble. But I think, um, I think the trouble you're in for is the trouble of reality. Maybe God isn't taking care of you too well. You know, to say that everybody who's in a situation where they falter or where they have a tough time and it's not working out and they either lose faith, they, they doubt uh, in a very um, significant way, um, they reject their faith, uh, that that person is uh, somebody who just didn't spend enough time with the Bible and in prayer, I, I, th- I think that's the upshot of his book. I think that's the upshot of his take, rather. I shouldn't say of his book. He might come along later and expand on this in a way that somewhat contradicts this one sentence formulation. But from what I've read so far, it looks like it's a big uh, fortress that's built to uh, surround and protect this notion. And I think that's a big problem. I mean, I, I think on the one hand, we do want to look through the eyes of faith, but we also want to look through the eyes of sense. Otherwise, we're abstracting ourselves from the real world. And that is precisely what God calls us not to do. Well, and it would also, 
I mean, my wife and I joke around about this notion of our own experiences. Well, we'll joke around where she'll say, I'm experiencing you to be a real jerk. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I'll say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's your experience, but that's not my experience. And, and, and where we're kind of going with that, where we're kind of joking about is the notion that each person really does have their own genuine experience. So I may be enjoying the conversation that you and I are having right now, and that's, quote, my experience. And you might actually hate the conversation that we're having right now. But that doesn't mean that one of us is right or wrong. I know I have friends that would have problems with that because there has to be a right and a wrong. There has to be, you, you can't have it both ways. Would you agree with that? I, I think I would put another segment on that, another layer on that and say that I agree with what you're saying, but I think the experience would be like a more generalizable sort of thing where I'm experiencing us having a conversation and then I am having a response to that experience. Ooh. Right? Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't want to be in a situation where 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 someone would say, I, I don't know, so if we were broadcasting live and someone would call nine one one because I was I was threatening you with uh with death or something like that. Like like that's not taking place. You can go back and listen to this again. This is a conversation. <laughs> it's not a you know, it's not a series of death threats or or, or menacing. So it, that type of thing I kinda wanna be really you know, clear to distinguish what's taking place versus how am I responding to it. And sometimes, yeah, there is like a, a you know a personal element to that. You could say, well, I was in this conversation and then this person was making these passive aggressive comments and, you know, you might want to go, somebody else could say, oh, I didn't notice that or whatever. Like subtleties, I think, are, are open to our own sort of, uh, not interpretation, but but maybe th- there's, you know, if, if, if you know someone better, you might know their sense of humor, whereas another person might not quite get that they're making a joke. But everybody would agree that they're having a conversation. And that's the point I'm getting at. So would, but in, it sounds like what Bridges is setting up, though, is that it, when you're in a really bad situation, you can't trust your sense. You shouldn't listen to your senses. Like, that's I'm in a I'm really... Getting. I'm in a really bad situation and I feel really depressed and really sad and really help. I feel really helpless. But he would say, well, don't focus on the fact that you feel helpless. Just trust. I think so. Just which, trust. In a, <laughs> which in my own experience is a completely losing formula. But at least it hasn't worked for me. Maybe it works for other people. So, so how do you, I mean, yeah, initially when I read that line, you said I would have stopped at the book right there. Can you kind of like give a little bit more about that and tie that in with that losing formula? Well, the the losing formula being that in my experience so far in life, in Christian circles, when something bad would be happening, people would say, or I would, you know, say, how do we know God even exists? Or I don't feel like God is there or I can't find him. It, you know, the the undercurrent usually seemed to be, well, you can't totally listen to your doubts. So you have to just trust which hmm. is this kind of vague, um, where trust felt more like, you know, just tie a blindfold over your, your eyes and just walk off the cliff and, and, you know, faith or trust is that God will catch you before you land on the rocks below. I like that. So that's where, so, and I still struggle with this. I still struggle with the notion of, you know, what is faith? What is trust? Um, what, 
what what does God do and what do I do and uh, th- it's kind of a tangent to the current conversation but I've been thinking about recently the whole notion of you know if of us us having free will and mm. and I don't mean in the the controversial theological sense but in the sense that or maybe it is that that my understanding is that I have complete ability to decide what I'm going to do and what my actions are. Um, and that, that God doesn't necessarily control, like I decided to call you at this time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that like God was upstairs in heaven, like pulling these, these levers and was like, yeah, I don't want John to call Greg at right at this time. And right. because John and Greg are on, on doing a podcast right now. Greg can't get on his bicycle and go to the gym because if he did, he'd get hit by a car. Now, some people I think would say that. I, I, I'm really getting off in the weeds with this, but <laughs> that's no, really this another, another topic. But so, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm just thinking a lot about right now, like what, because because also related to my past was this whole notion of evangelism and. You, we, it is our responsibility as Christians to make sure that we're embracing and following the Great Commission, which is to go out into all the world and tell the world about Jesus, and that if we're not doing that and those people end up in hell, it's pretty much our fault because we didn't go. Which, to me, would then say, so God is completely like powerless to save the world without our help, which doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure where I'm going with all this. I don't know that I have it very well thought out, but those are some other things that are bounced around in my head. Yeah, I mean, back to what you said earlier about people, it's like it's like you're walking off the cliff into thin air. I mean, I guess, I guess what 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 I see is that we're trusting something, anyways. You're making and you know, Bridges would say, "Hey, you want to trust God, right?" But you're relying on some sort of information. He wants you to rely on Scripture. He wants you to say that if God did this or you can find a scriptural promise for that, then it's going to happen to you in whatever situation you may be in. Um, and, and I guess, too, this idea of, like you say, walking off into space. Like, I, 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 I guess for me, I would come back to this idea that there has to have been enough and this is this is where this point about memory comes in. There has to have been enough situations where I have seen that you know what God God works in a certain way, which sometimes involves me walking off into space. And you know what, when I've done that before, it's worked. And when it hasn't, I understand why. And I don't mean to make it into a formula, but I think there are one of the things we risk. I mean, it's like this. It's like this thing I read you off Christian Nightmares. No rock music, dance, or corrupt Bible versions. How do you know that what you're reading is the is the correct interpretation? You know, people come to Romans eight twenty eight, and they read it. This is such a this is just a, a Christian standby. I'll read you the verse. You'll know exactly what I mean. Just a sec. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. I'm reading from the NRSV. 
Now, coincidentally, I love this Bible. This is the Bible I make all my notes in. Uh, and I think that that version, that particular version, that particular translation happens to be improper. I don't think that's what that, that verse is about. I was in reading a commentary by F.F. F. Bruce, who is a very well-known, respected exegete from the 1980s, 70s, somewhat 90s, his commentary on Romans. And he recommended, you know, he looked at it and we looked at, he said, you know, this is, this is a tricky one. But the problem is that the interpretation of this verse falls on two things. First of all, what is the verse alone saying? And second, what's going on? Well, three things. The second being what's going on in Romans eight as a whole. And then the third thing is how does Paul write? The whole of Romans eight, we've got, we've got stuff going on about the spirit, the Holy spirit. And this move in Romans 28, 28 is almost this kind of like, Hey, I'm talking about this, talking about this, talking about this. I'm going to make this little comment about that. Oh, now I'm going to go back to talking about this and this and this and this. It's very discursive. It's kind of, you know, tangential, but Paul isn't like that. Paul is not a tangential writer. Nowhere is Paul less tangential than in the book of Romans, the most tightly reasoned, tightly uh, put together book in the entire New Testament. So when we read this text and we read that one scripture, that one uh, verse, and we read it like this, we're not thinking about who Paul is as a writer. We're not thinking about what's going on in Romans 8. And you know what? If you've got two options, one that makes better sense of Romans 8 and makes better sense of Paul, and one that makes worse, you know which one you should choose. So I'm going to go to my shelf. I'm going to grab the New English Bible. I'll read you the same verse. Yeah, but you're, you're going to destroy proof texts everywhere, man. Man, but this is the type of stuff. This, this, <laughs> this totally kills me. This, this just kills me. I, I can't. No, but it's, it, it, it rings true with a lot of our, our other conversations, which is, you know, the Bible is the magic cookbook that proves whatever you need to prove. So if, you know, P- well, I don't want to jump to Sometimes I feel like people don't want to take a really hard look at the really bad stuff that's happened in their lives because it's easier to just plaster it over by saying, well, you know, it says in the Bible, all things work together for good. But- I know, but th- then we're screwing the whole thing up because if there's some truth in this notion that God is looking out for us, God is seeking our best, God loves us more than we love ourselves – then, you know, we've got to kind of embrace that. But it's this notion of balance that's completely gone. Let me, let me just read you this. In, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to back up to verse 27. So I'm going to read two verses, Romans 8, 27 and 28. First, I just read 28. Let me start at 27. I'll read the NRSV and then I'll go to the New English. NRSV. And God who searches the heart knows, pardon me, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit, again, we're talking about the spirit all the way through here. The spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know, this is verse 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. Now the NEB, the New English Bible, starting with verse 27. And God, who searches our innermost being, knows what the Spirit means. Because he pleads, he, the Spirit, pleads for God's own people in God's own way. And in everything, as we know, he cooperates for good with those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
It's not about God is, makes everything for our good, but the Spirit working with us for goodness in us as we love God and we are working according to God's purposes. So it's not this kind of blanket statement that makes everything okay. It's a, it's a, it's a really important change. But this too, for me, is you know, it, it, it's it's it, it. It all comes together, I guess, to form a picture that says that our lived reality is very important. The Bible is important. Reality is important. Our experiences, what goes on in the world, and if we take one without taking the other in either direction, one is this kind of. A Christian excess, and the other is maybe an atheistic excess. But they're both excesses that allow us, they actually move us further away from God. The no. Christian excess, just as much as the other one, I would wager. No, I like that. And I would say that's a strong... The reason that I feel like I'm in the place that I am today is because I refused to kind of keep shutting off half of my brain. And yeah. half, in other words, the the way that Christianity was presented to me was one, it was the way that you made sure that you were in heaven when you died, and two, uh, God always took care of you and and things turned out well. Mm-hmm. And three, it was the most satisfying, fulfilling way to live. Well, one, I, it's kind of hard to verify the existence of heaven, so <laughs> kind of taking that on faith. The the whole satisfying and, you know, best way to live, I wasn't seeing that in my life. I still don't totally see that today. Mm-hmm. I, I can count on probably one hand the number of, you know, Christians that I totally respect, that I look at their lives and say, wow, they are they are living this in a fully integrated way that makes sense, in a way mm-hmm. that I would want to embrace life too. Mm-hmm. And that kind of cause me or I don't know. I feel like that's a good reason why I'm kind of where I'm at right now, which is no, this has to all make sense. You can't. Yes. I'm looking for something that, that's completely coherent and, and doesn't uh, conflict with itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I really appreciate your, your unwillingness to kind of, as you say, shut off half of your brain because in the end, I mean, I think in the end when we do that, that, that's just the beginning of the recipe again for being abstracted from reality. We become people who can't really relate to the world around us because we've refused to do so when it comes to how the world around us affects us in our own life. If it doesn't work out in ways that validate Scripture or the way that we've been taught to understand Scripture, we ignore it or bury it. And um, or, I don't or play- <laughs> I think there's room for this, but sometimes it makes me laugh. Smile. This whole notion of it's it's too complicated. We can't understand it as humans. Oh gosh. <laughs> which, which I get sometimes, but sometimes it just feels like a big cop out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I I have to go more with the cop out actually. I'd like to see people make a make a stab at it. Like I've made a stab at it. Here's where I've got. I'm satisfied enough without being completely satisfied. That's when I would want to hear that it's too complicated. I can't get there. You know. But just not. But 
yeah, to not even try to just be like, well, that's too complicated for us as humans to understand. I even the I mean, I think I've heard that in the context of this verse too. You know, well, everything works out to you know for good that to to those that love him. It's like, well, uh, name any horrible thing that's happened in the world or that's happened to you. And it's like, well, so what good is going to come out of that? Oh, well, we don't know yet. You know, that's the mysterious nature of God. We just know that he loves us and and that, you know, and we may never know on this earth what, what yeah. good came out of it. But just rest assured, it's going to be good. And that, I don't know, part of me is willing to accept that and another part of me is... This feels like there's something missing. Yeah. I, I guess I would wonder, like, how did you get to that point? How did you get to the point where you said you can't figure it out? It's too complicated for people. Maybe it's too complicated for you, but how, how did you get to the point? How many people did you poll? Who were they? You know, if, if, if your car is really busted and somebody says to you, oh, you can't fix that. Who who were they that they were an authority such that you kind of said, okay, they must be right? Are they are they a really good mechanic? Or is it somebody who tinkers with cars? Or is it not somebody who tinkers with cars and just, just kind of came over and took a glance at it? Like, what are you willing to take? And I guess I guess that's the other thing too. Like the bar drops lower and lower the more you're willing to kind of put your head in the sand. Because it's just if putting your your head in the sand is the way you go. And I think most people don't sort of say to themselves, oh, I'm putting my head in, my, in, the, in the sand. They, they kind of – it's a part of a process that they are re- re- really not very conscious of. But I think what it ends up doing is it drops the bar. And so what you need to do, what you – not need to do, what you are required to do, what you should do, not by God or by anybody else's standards, but because you're a human being and you've dedicated your life to this, your entire life theoretically is dedicated to this belief system and to this God, what would you give? Well, I would give a fair bit of my time. You know, sometimes I push myself and stay up late and I get mad at myself because I'm like, oh, I had this thought about this first and I wonder about that. And this just doesn't seem right. And go and you read a little bit. And I tell you, nine, 19 times out of 20, and I've got a little bit of a library, but I don't have like a, I've got two big bookshelves. That's it. And not all of them are theological. I've got maybe 50 books I can count on for theology, right? But I, most people live in a bigger place where you've got some sort of a library or if you've got a, a, a I don't know, a Christian college, seminary, whatever, you can go in and look up stuff. What's it worth to you? You know, who have you count, who have you sourced as your uh, authority on this such that you would, you know, I, I just don't think people, in other words, make the distinction between it's too much for me to figure out versus it's too much for humans to know. The one says, I don't know. Okay, fine, fair enough. You don't know. The other says, I can't know, which means, so I'm not going to bother. And I think that really pisses me off at these kind of blanket statements that, um, uh, exonerate people from the obligation of actually doing what their belief system calls them to do, which is checking things out, trying to understand. And it doesn't, it doesn't take very much. Like, I, I don't know if you want me to read you this thing that this guy wrote this, uh, that FF Bruce, I've got it here in front of me, but it's just, it's, he writes one long paragraph about this and I'm like, Holy crap. 
why why hasn't this been put out there? Like, why don't I hear this? Why is this verse, you know, it's like, uh, what is it? Philippians 3.14, you know, I can do all things through God who strengthens me, is never, ever, ever, ever put in the context that Paul's using it in, which is the spread of the gospel. In relation to the spread of the gospel, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Absolutely. In relation to, I don't know, becoming an astronaut, um, making a million dollars, um, being a good husband with the resources I have now instead of going to counseling and, uh, you know, getting my ass kicked in a number of ways that I need to because really I'm a bit of a, a bit of a butthead. <laughs> no, no, God's going to do it all for me. I'm just going to pray. And you know what? You know what's going to happen is if my wife can't figure it out, like I'm praying a lot, God's making this happen. If she can't figure <laughs> out, she's the problem. And these verses, these kind of catch-all verses allow us to exonerate ourselves and blame others. They allow us to diminish other people, and that is precisely what the Bible teaches us, again, not to do. That's and an I, interesting connection. I never made that one before. It pisses me off to no end. You know, it's, 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 it's not that way. You cannot manipulate Scripture and manipulate texts into creating a fortress for yourself that happens to have a couple of cannons aimed at just that person that you're pissed off at. That's just not how it works. You know, it'd be interesting to to kind of catalog some of these verses. There's a whole bunch of these. I mean, another uh, one of my other personal favorites is, uh, you know, not forsaking the gathering together with other believers. Is that in uh-huh. Galatians or Hebrews? Let's take a look for that one right now. We'll just and, pull up the database. And that one's used, of course, to um, note that it's a sin to not go to church on Sunday. <laughs> because I mean obviously gathering together with other believers was what the early church did and because the early church did it you have to do it and if you're not doing something that's in the Bible you're sinning and I'm being kind of flipping simplistic here but this this is essentially how stuff has been explained to me or I've kind of heard from the pulpit you know which is yeah if something's in the Bible and you're not doing it, it's a sin. Forget about like what the context is or why that was written or what was going on when it was written. Yeah. I'm just looking up your verse. And I'm not saying that going to church is a bad thing, but to say that, you know, it's the only way or that if you're not doing it, you're sinning just is too much for me. Yeah, I think again, it's another one of those cases where it's been uh, used in a, uh, you know, to to manipulate certain outcomes. It exonerates certain people and lays blame on others. Well, and, and it's also using the Bible to make a point. And I just, the older I get, the more I wonder. Was the, the well? I'll put it this way: the longer I live, the more I believe that the Bible was not written slash given to us to make a point. Mm-hmm. It, it was to hold stories. It was to hold ideas. It was to tell us what was happening back then. In some mm-hmm. cases, it was letters between a person and a group of people. Um, so how it turned into the magic cookbook of how everyone should live today is just beyond me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh And that's not to say that there are principles that 
apply that you know that are espoused there that are still useful and relevant today. I don't have a problem with that. What I do mm-hmm. have a problem with is is the prescriptive notion that because this verse says that you shouldn't forsake gathering with other believers, that if you're not doing it, you're you're violating the Bible and therefore sinning. Because the Bible, I don't think every any does the Bible really say anywhere that that's the way the Bible's supposed to be used. No, because it was never written that way. Yeah, and and I think there's obviously I think what that's trying to, that verse is trying to communicate is there's a real value to coming together. But I think that's under certain circumstances, you know, like hopefully, uh, hopefully people who were Christians were not going to church uh, in uh, National Socialist Germany. Hopefully they weren't going to church in a lot of apartheid South Africa. And I, I don't mean like, you know, the odd person. I hope everyone who was a Christian was was not, was actively working against those institutions because although they were the church in big letters, they were not the church. You know, it's another case of, and I think this is this is a big problem that just doesn't get looked at. It's a case of false religion and determining the ability to determine when religion or re- is religiosity, when it is false, is so key and so tricky unless you have a touchstone to something outside. If, you, if, if all you have is theology, I mean, theology back and forth and, you, you, you know, you, you can, you can, you can uh, parry one view against another. You can pit one perspective and one theology against another. But I think when things play out in real life, when you see, you know, this works and this, this doesn't work at all. Um, particularly if you can, if you can look at some of the, you know, for me, I, I constantly am coming back to this idea that um, we're to love God with all that we are, love ourselves and love our neighbors likewise. And then if anything I'm doing with my, in my life makes it difficult to do those three things, then that thing is highly questionable. But it's, it's, again, it's not just saying, oh, look, I can find a verse that supports what I'm doing here. It's comparing what I'm doing with real life. And in real life, are you, are you actually loving God? Are you actually loving yourself? Are you actually loving other people? How does that work out? And if you can't, if you can't substantiate that, if you can't reconcile that, I would really wonder if you're doing it. Well, and in that case, too, it's explicitly called out as this is the greatest commandment, right? Yeah, and, and I think that that's a, you know, maybe that's a place to start and a place to finish. That's kind of how I look at it. Um, if what I'm doing isn't oriented by that, and ultimately if what I'm doing doesn't fulfill that, then what I'm doing might be questionable. You know, like those people who... um um <laughs> it's got to be like every third or fourth day there's a photograph on Christian Nightmares uh, site of of you know somebody dressed in like really outlandish clothing not just carrying one sign but like carrying two signs and has another sign on their head and other signs like kind of somehow like appended to their body and it's like a suit that they're wearing but then you know stuff like you know uh, like god hates fags and all this stuff and I'm like which god are you talking about uh, mm-hmm. God doesn't hate anybody. 
you know, God might have something to say about um, how we live our lives because God loves us deeply and God knows us truly. In knowing us truly, God is the best place for us. This is, this is, this is what we, we understand through, um, you know, not only through the Bible, I hope through our experiences. And this is, this is what's been key in my experience of God is that God knows me more truly than I know myself. So God is the, the, the best one to safeguard my identity. God loves me more deeply than I love myself. So God is the one that holds my best interest, my truest best interest, closest at heart. And out of that kind of orientation, I can say, okay, God's got some things to say to me. But God doesn't hate anybody. So, you know, I think if people like that were to stop, if they somehow could stop themselves and somehow examine and and ask themselves how it is that they're loving their neighbor by proclaiming messages of hate that I see nowhere in the Bible. Um, you know, the only instance where we see uh, a people group being destroyed is when the Jews come, the, uh, the Hebrews come and, and take over the land. In no other case, because in all the other cases, it, it says, you know, go and kill them all and kill all their animals. And, and then it says, don't intermarry. Which, you know, for some people, when they read the Bible, it's like, wow, this is just such a load of nonsense. How can you kill everybody and then warn them not to marry them? Well, because kill everybody is a formulation. It's like, go kick their asses. Like, no one's really going to come and kick somebody in the butt. That's not what kicking their ass means. It's, a, it's an idiomatic expression that means go and defeat them. So is go and kill blah, 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 blah. The only known case, the only case where this has taken place in the entire text is when they come into the land and they get rid of those inhabitants. In all other cases, it's a formulation. It's a, for, well, it's a formulation of the time, but that formulation is then accompanied subsequently by all these injunctions about, hey, be careful, you're marrying them. Don't marry them. That's not how it's supposed to go. Be careful, you're, you're worshiping their gods now. That's not how it's supposed to go. So, yeah, this whole thing about how we treat our our, our our fellow human beings, I think, is a really, really good indicator of whether what we're doing is something that resonates with the Bible or if it's something that's quite dissonant with the Bible and dissonant with the God that we claim to love. Going back a little bit, how would you describe, you said you you were talking about how you know that God loves you and that you feel that he's there for you. How, what does that look like for you? Um, do you mean where does it come from? What do I base it on? Or like, what how happens? do you know when it's there? Or is that, or is it just obvious to you? Um, wow, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't crossed this bridge before. Um, that's a great question. Um, it's it's obvious to me because of the the way in which I, you know, so I had my counting them on my fingers in my head. My eight years of Christianity, then I had seven years of this kind of uh, hostile agnosticism. And then I have for the past, um, gosh, 13 years, uh, 14 years almost, been a Christian again. And and it was the, the point of coming back to God, which wasn't a point of sort of saying, oh, you know, I made a mistake. 
I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have left Christianity or, um, um, Oh, you know, I, I wasn't really trying back then. Now I'm going to try, right? It's like, it's like I was, I didn't really walk off the side of the cliff and now I'm going to walk off the cliff and Oh, look, it works. None of that. <laughs> it's not, I think that's, I think that's bogus. Um, for me, it was having uh, an experience that I cannot honestly, morally say uh, was not a, an enormously significant pointer to God. And within that experience was the, the, the quality of that experience was such of, of being known very, very deeply, of being known better than I know myself, which both validated the true things that I know. You know, I'd gone through a lot. I was uh, 29. I'd gone through a lot of counseling, a lot of time working over uh, and trying to get past the abusive uh, family background that I came from. And there were some things that I'd understood through that process that Christianity was a little bit, you know, kind of waffled on. I'm like, no way. It's, it's, it's one of these roads here. It's not these roads over here. And that was, that was, those things were very validated by God. And yet, the experience that I had, and I guess it's experiences, more than one experience really, uh, that culminated in a, in a couple major experiences, uh, showed me that I was known in a way that I was just, it was amazing to me. It was amazing how deeply God knew me. And yet the, the, the possibilities that were offered to me um, were so genuine and so real and so there was it was it was just all about love there was so much love there and so um you know i i think i've kind of learned to live with it but one of the things that happens to me and you might notice over the course of our podcast is sometimes i'm talking and i just stop talking because i'm choked up i can't talk anymore and it's because it's not it's because i'm thinking about some of those things that happened in my past so this idea of remembering who god is when life really sucks when things when we're in adverse situations for me the first thing i need to do i greg need to do is remember i need to remember what's happened i need to remember and then the next thing i need to do is i need to go to this this text and i need to go to my understanding and of, of who God is on the basis of my experience and bring these things together and say, this is really terrible. Has God disappeared? No, God hasn't disappeared. Has God lost interest? No, God has not lost interest. Has God lost the ability to do anything? No, God hasn't lost the ability to do anything. Well, that, one's, that one is trickier. But ultimately for me, Knowing that, like, I, I, I hear you kind of asking me, how do I know that God loves me? Is that mostly what you're asking? Well, I think I'm, what I'm asking is, okay, so, so you're, you are convinced that God is real and that he loves you. And so for someone, for me, I believe God exists. I don't believe, I don't feel like I experience him on a regular basis mm. in a way that, well, my tradition would say, you know, you need to be telling everyone about 
Jesus and God, and you know that person you sit de- you sit next to on the airplane is just another opportunity to you know get another person through the doors of heaven or the gates of heaven, and you know my tradition would also say it's also your responsibility, and if they don't get there, it's probably your it could be your fault, and so there's this. I'm getting off on a tangent now, but there's almost this compulsive uh you've gotta convert as many people as you can mm-hmm. um you've gotta get them into heaven, which, as I get older and I take a step back from feels very manipulative and very much about uh it all depends on us as mm. humans to mm-hmm. make sure that all these other people know about God and get to heaven, which if I keep going down that path, I'm just like, well, then I thought God like was all powerful and loving and all these other things. And you're telling me this, that all depends on me. Like (laughs) something's wrong here. So, but get, but I guess where I was originally going is I love reading biographies. I love, I love understanding other people's experiences and, and how they've experienced the world and how they see things and how they, put things together. And so I think for a good portion of my life, in fact, I'm doing it now, even asking you this question, I'm kind of, you know, I'm curious. I'm like, well, how, what was your experience? How did you finally find God? And, and will that be the way that I find him too? Part of me hopes it is. Another part of me says, well, it hasn't happened after all these years and hopefully someday it will. And maybe because I'm uniquely me, it will happen in a different way for me. I don't know. Mm. Um, so that was, that's kind of the genesis of my question is, you know, how does it, how did it happen for you? And then how do you know? And then the kind of the under question, the, the question under the surface for me is, so what, <laughs> what's going to happen for me or where, where, what yeah. will it look like for me? Yeah. Well, you know, I, so for me, I think it was it was um, a combination of rightly having God pinned on the mat. You know, I had God pinned. I had God. You know, you, you can't win. You're dead. The count is gone. Essentially, on the for me, um, you know, as we were. When I was at Labrie in Switzerland, so Swiss Labrie, founded in the 50s by Francis Schaeffer, has many branches now, as, as we both know. And, uh, you know, obviously we met in Switzerland in 99. In 95, when I was there, 95 and 96, I, w- my agenda was to come to peace with these extremely annoying and uh, just Christians who, who were completely off base. Their beliefs were unfounded. I had been a Christian. I'd been there, done that. doesn't work. And um, when I talk about having God pinned on the mat, what I'm referring to is that this idea of justice, God's justice, and that there is no justice. And um, the, for me, coming from uh, a very abusive childhood, um, there, there, there's only one just answer to my situation. Uh, my abuser was my father. And the only just answer is it, for it not to have happened, 
for me to play, have played baseball and gone fishing and done these other things with my dad instead of being abused. And, you know, I read in the Bible that God's going to take care of this at the end of time. And, you know, what's God going to do? Or that it all works together for good? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's that I didn't even, I I wasn't even going to worry about because it's like, there is no good here, right? There's me surviving this and getting past this and putting it beyond myself. But, But tell me, God, when you show up, when you finally show up, because if it all works together for good, well, well, fine and dandy. I might not get that and I might not see some things, but surely when you're right here in front of us all, you're going to, and you do the right thing. You tell me how that's going to look like anything I can consider justice. So what are you going to do? You're going to take him aside and tell him he's bad? Are you saying that the way you're looking at it is that it was so evil and so bad that there, there was no justice for it? I don't think there is any justice, no. Like, what is the justice for somebody who goes and and kills, you know, if if somebody comes into someone's house and kills their kids, what is justice? God's going to send them to hell. Is that just? Yeah, it doesn't bring the person back. Well, I it guess, doesn't bring the person back. I guess back justice is, is, is restoring the situation to its original state, which is impossible. Which is impossible, and God never claims that God's going to do. And in, in my situation in particular, it's not somebody who I don't know who comes in and does all of these things. It's somebody that I love. I actually love my dad. I do love him. I mean, I, I hate him too, or I did, but I, I love him. And so I don't want to see him in hell, even if he's done all these things to me. I mean, God may be so pissed off at him, but you know what? I'm not. I just didn't want it to happen. And so going through this process, and, and I was just like, you know, God, you can't win. You cannot win this fight with me. There is no way. And to this day, I, I, I hold that. If somebody was to say to me, you know, I come from an abusive family. My parent did this. And one of the reasons I don't believe in God is because God's justice is pathetic. There is no justice in this. God's going to send this person to hell or annihilate this person or do this to this person. Or How does that help me? Zero. Zero, it helps me. You're giving me nothing. I could have killed him myself. Hmm. You know, I could have done these things myself. And it wouldn't have given me what I wanted. So when you do it, I'm going to get what I want. That's ridiculous. That's a bunch of crap. And so coming to Labrie and being at Labrie, you know, this was my orientation. And it's still my orientation now. If someone was to work purely on the level of God's justice, that is what I would say. And I would agree with them if they were to say that to me. My experience at Labrie, the, 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 the key things that made me move back to God were experiences primarily of being loved in a way that's, that was um, displayed an incredibly deep knowledge of who I was. And the effect was essentially God saying to me, and we can get into this more. I know this is not as concrete. I can make this very concrete, but I just don't think that now at this point in a podcast is the time to go into that. It would take more time than we have. Fair enough. But it was essentially God saying to me, it was me saying to God, your justice sucks. And God not even answering that. It was, but instead God said to me, ah, but you've forgotten my love. And I think one of the realities for me, one of the things that I deeply and truly believe 
is that God does not. It's like with Job. Job asks God and accuses God and, you know, etc. Dozens of things he says, dozens of statements he makes, and God answers none of them. Not because God is necessarily too big. I think what we, what we see in the Job account and what I experienced in my situation is God does not answer evil with this response or that response, but God answers evil with God's self. And in the coming of God's self, two things are always present. One is love and one is truth. And love may manifest itself in many different ways. Patience, mercy, compassion, kindness, depending upon what that individual needs. Truth may manifest itself in many different ways. Justice, honesty. depending again on what that person needs and who they are. And I think that any encounter that we have with God draws those two things to us and out of us. And, you know, it's irresistible. At the end of the day, who would I want my dad to be? I'd want him to be somebody I could respect, somebody I loved, Somebody who loved me, who respected me, who wanted to be with me, and whom I wanted to be with. Somebody I loved and was with, by whom I was deeply loved and whom I desired deeply to love. And that's the most true thing I know of. And that is exactly what I have found through my experiences and encounters with God. So I don't have any doubts about you know, does God exist and who is God? And a lot of the times when you hear me, you know, and I'm getting really, you can tell I'm angry and really frustrated. It's because people are putting across these notions of God that are so small or they're so, you know, they're warped just enough to make God into something that, 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 that God was not. You know, it reminds me of the Christianity I had before and that I gave up and that I would advocate anybody give up. And I think maybe your Christianity from your past and mine from before are somewhat similar. You know, and, and I don't think that everybody has these experiences like this. Like, I don't know why I particularly had it. But I do know that, um, you know, it's always, it's always there for me. It's always, it's always, you know, like I, it's a bit of a pain sometimes because I will wake up at night and I am thinking about this, you know, and I'm like, I, why am I, I'm 45, I should be over, you know, I should be kind of over this kind of experience that happened to me 14 years ago, 44, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, it, it's still, it's still as gripping to me as it was when it happened. And when I encounter things like, you know, the situation and what, what, um, uh, who's this guy? Bridges, Jerry Bridges is writing about, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really upset because you know what, if I would have followed your advice, I would have stuck in that same old Christianity I had, and I would have had nothing. It was worth nothing to me. 
And now, you know what? When I said, screw it and screw this idea of you being just God and, and, and I'm there, you know what? I don't know why. I don't know why. It's, it's a pretty crazy idea for a hostile agnostic to be in a very, very Christian place. <laughs> You know, and, and but it's the same. I don't know. To me, it's the same way that I keep having these conversations with you. I mean, I don't know yeah, you or other, yeah. other people have said to me. You know, I don't know why you didn't just like completely dynamite this all this stuff and throw it out the window years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I continue to feel attracted to it. But I think I'm, I'm now attracted to it more on my own terms. My own terms being, no, I'm going to think this out for myself, and if you want to give me some ridiculous notion of what it is or try to guilt me into it, forget it. But finish your thought, and then we should probably wrap things up. I guess the thought is is this, too, that one of the reasons, if we come back to that one section that irks you, when, when Scripture is kind of, the Bible is kind of misused in this sense of gathering together, I mean, in a sense, we're doing that. We are We are coming together and exchanging stories and perspectives and experiences about who God is. And I guess what I would say is that in the same way that I need to be around people who celebrate, I'm not really great at celebrating. And life is itself something that the very notion of being alive is worthy of celebration. And I miss that. You know, I miss out on that. I, I kind of don't get it sometimes. You're the best party person I know. What are you talking about? Uh, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> who else drinks $200 bottles of scotch? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thankfully I don't drink them all. I've still no, 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 and very, and I should clarify for our audience in very, <laughs> very small amounts. I mean, <laughs> I was thinking. Uh, well, no, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, even even stuff with like, I don't know. I'm just reminded by other people of uh, by being with them the things that I don't do well, or don't do enough, or it's like, oh yeah, okay, you know, that's a really good way of looking at that. But I think in a in a, in the same sense. What I have to offer to other people is I have this experience that is it's, – it's so present and so powerful and has been so illuminating for me. And, you know, not that I, not that I kind of sit there and meditate on this thing and, and, and I've kind of – you know, sometimes I sound fairly confident with my perspectives, I'm sure. But when I'm doing that, it's both coming from the experience and coming from – the study and the research that I've done that the experience has prompted, you know? So when every time when my perspective comes into conflict with another Christian perspective, I think I owe that other perspective, the respect. And I owe myself the respect of saying, Hey, you know what, you know, you're, you're really dedicated to, and, and really uh, your life has been changed by this situation, by these experiences. But who knows? Like some of these things you, you may have misunderstood. You're not perfect. And so you can't, you can't sort of sit there and just kind of recline and say, you know, whatever you guys think doesn't matter. So, you know, there's this reality of having to go to books, go to, you know, people, uh, study, learn. But maybe something that I can offer is this kind of intense connection with what it is to be loved by God. And to take this and to be able to communicate this, not simply in an emotive way, but in an intellectual way, in a way that doesn't, isn't just about songs and worship choruses, but is about, um, you know, explanation that can be um, more technical and maybe hopefully that can also be 
really connected with everyday life. Hmm? No, it's, and so, it's super helpful to me. Well, you're already helping one person. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it when you say that. <laughs> no, I really do because. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if I can, if that's something that I can bring, you know, and and I know that this has you're bringing it. Good, and I, I I know it's super unsat. I've held back a lot of detail. I, that's I know okay. It. That's okay. We can get we into to it go later. Some but yeah, I I I will say before just to kind of close things out. I love what you shared about the whole notion of judgment. Like God's, I had never thought about that or understood that in the way that you explained that. And I, I'll probably mm. go back and listen to this again to make sure I get it. But uh, yeah, I, that there can be no full justice. I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really something really worth thinking about because I think so often um, God is presented as, as bringing justice to everything and and maybe at the end of the world he does but not right now yeah and i think that's also wrapped up like when i just a little bit i've read of trusting god by jerry bridges i mean he's really big on this idea of god is sovereign and god's in control and god's going to make all these things happen the right way i'm i'm just super curious how much time are you going to spend on the fact that god loves you furiously You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 17. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.